The Start On Demand. On demand. As Manitoba prepares its reopening plan, Ipsos polled 28,000 people around the world to find out how they're feeling about the idea of things going kind of back to normal. For Breakfast with the Bombers, we speak to offensive coordinator Buck Pierce for an emotional chat, and we'll speak with one of the creators of the Road to the Grey Cup video, which was released Monday night at bluebombers.com. And the Pentagon releases some videos of UFO encounters. These videos had previously been leaked, but the Pentagon decided to release them again and say, yep, these are real. We'll speak with science writer and UFOlogist Chris Rutkowski. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, April 28th podcast for The Start. I'd like to know at 204-780-6868, shoot us a text, is Tuesday the worst day of the week? Loren McNabb, you're back today, back in the saddle. Why don't I start with you? What say I on that one? I would have pegged yesterday as the worst day of the week after just feeling not well over the weekend and terrible sleeping and Sunday transitioning to Monday is always hard. Then after about a solid two and a half hours of sleep last night, (laughs) I'm giving... Tuesday, the old cranking up the old middle finger at that one, to be honest with you this morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I'm not in a good, I'm not happy. I am unhappy right now. I'm just going to lay it out there, guys. Just lay it out there, uh, Greg. Great to have you back, Loren. <laughs> You're welcome. Get ready for this one. All righty then. Buckle up your seatbelts. It's going to be uh, one of those days. I'm not a big fan of Tuesday. Tuesday is that day that has no feeling typically, but uh, today and most Tuesdays, it is my least favorite. It used to be Wednesday, I think, but Wednesday in this business, by the time we get to the end of the show on Wednesday, it feels like you can see the tunnel the light at the end of the tunnel for the end of the week. Tuesday just feels like there's just so much work ahead. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on the anti-Tuesday train. I'm not cranking up the middle finger, though. I'm, I'm uh, too polite for that. Yeah, because usually what happens on uh, Sunday and into Monday, because my especially these days, my weekend sleep schedule is such a disaster. But uh, Sunday into Monday, I just I come in Monday and I feel this sort of haze that I just kind of power through. But then, and I always intend to go home on Monday and go to bed early, and I never do because I'm my own worst enemy. So then I wake up Tuesday morning, and it's not just a haze; it's just a black cloud. Uh, So, but I am happy that I'm here with the both of you and our listeners at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Again, let us know is Tuesday the worst day of the week? Because once again, all three of us uh, did not sleep well. I think it was last Tuesday as well. None of mm-hmm. us had a good sleep Monday night. Loretta. I actually feel like I've cursed myself or jinxed myself because we had all these talks about a month ago, I think, with Diana McMillan about sleep patterns changing as a result of the stress of COVID-19. And then you and I were lamenting that 1 a.m. seems to be a bad hour for us, Brett. And then like midweek last week, I just about texted you to say, oh, I've got a whole new strategy for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait till you hear it. It's just, it's really, I'm hitting it out of the park. Three great sleeps in a row and then boom, off the wagon again. It's just a terrible thing. So sleep, I don't like you. I think we should work, guys, on getting like our own personal emojis because do you notice, Greg, when Brett comes in in the morning, he's got lots of exclamation points and he seems to be like really chipper at 345 <laughs> in the morning. And mm-hmm. I feel like all my texts have... The, the negative effect going on like yes good idea no i don't like that yes let's do this so i think we should develop our own personal emojis and then we'd know where everyone was coming from each morning you could just fire that out in the morning you know what i'm looking at uh one right now i'm going to send it to you guys that expresses exactly how i'm feeling right now Ooh. i would need a hulk smash emoji but with a smiley face i feel like you're hulk smiling at 345 <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think this morning in particular, I was, it was more like dumbfounded because I look at my phone and I see this text message from Greg saying, hey guys, did you see this? And the text message came at 12.03 a.m. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? Uh, man, anyway, we'll get this figured out once, once upon a time. We will get this figured out. I'm actually looking at those videos all over again that I sent you at 12.03 in the morning. They're fascinating stuff. And what were those videos, Greg? Well, the the Air Force and the Navy in the United States they've actually re- they've they've released these videos of of unidentified flying objects. We heard rumors of these videos, and I think a couple of them were leaked in the last year or so. But the, they've actually released these videos of what can only be described as UFOs, and they're absolutely fascinating to look at. And the fact that they would declassify these videos, Loren, I think is uh, absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, we're going to play some of the clips from it in our next segment before we talk a bit about COVID. But I think what's neat about this is that they've said, yeah, no, those are, those are, uh, they're real videos. They, uh, yeah, they're probably UFOs. And, um, that's all we got. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we that's can't it. Tell you what they we, are. Kept, we, we kept these under wraps for several years and we have no new information on what they could be or what they might be or any theories. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, lots of chat around that because I think, you know, part of me, when I saw this on social media yesterday, someone commented, come on, we're already dealing with a pandemic. Do we have to deal with aliens coming too? <laughs> but then on the flip side, it's kind of a nice distraction to think about what else might be out there and uh, where we could go with that. Yeah. Listening to the reaction from the pilots, they're, they're trying like chasing after these this whatever this unidentified flying object is they were just beside themselves saying what is going on here and look at how fast it's going it's going against the wind it's look it's rotating wow and loren i just want to quickly touch on uh, our previous conversation on do you believe on weird stuff out there, be it aliens, be it Bigfoot, Yeti, and you said you believe in all of it, and we, somebody texted us a t-shirt that is just perfect. It says, social distancing original, and it's a picture of Bigfoot, and it says, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, avoiding contact since 10,000 B.C. Exactly. Something to be learned from that, maybe, right? I also enjoyed someone texting about the idea that they asked their husband about a Yeti, and the response was, isn't that a beverage container? Because the Yeti is the the must-have drink holder right now. It keeps your drink cold or it keeps your drink warm, but it's also potentially... A crazy creature walking around your backyard. Well, and Mackling, you when you heard Yeti, you referenced the cold beverage. Do you have a Yeti cooler? 
Are you kidding me? I can't afford a Yeti cooler. Uh, the people around me have Yeti coolers. No one in this house, but uh, it is one of my life's goal is to own a Yeti cooler of some form or another. They're uh, they're supposed to be outstanding products. That's right. The coolers are like three or four hundred bucks. I, I'm only I I used to have a Yeti uh, like a. I think it's called a rambler or a tumbler. Uh, then I would bring that to the golf course to keep my beers cold. But anyway, let us know if you have a Yeti and if you like it. 204-780-6868. Ontario and Quebec are the latest provinces. Lorenda released plans on a slow reopening of their economies. Yeah, the leaders of Canada's two largest provinces shared some new details yesterday on that plan. And part of what Quebec is looking at could include some elementary schools reopening as soon as May 11th. We haven't heard a lot about schools in any of these plans, but Quebec was pretty firm that it's going to open some of those elementary schools. Meanwhile, Ontario says it will work on a three-staged approach to reopening, but it has no real hard dates attached to its plan, with the Ontario Premier saying it was a roadmap and not a calendar. Both Saskatchewan and New Brunswick have already shared what they hope an easing of restrictions in the wake of COVID-19 would look like in those provinces. As we've been telling you again this morning, Manitoba hopes to release its approach sometime this week. But we know depending on where you live, many Canadians are uneasy about what all this could look like and we're not alone. Ipsos has polled 28,000 people in 14 different countries to get their thoughts. Sean Simpson is the vice president of Ipsos and joins us now. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. So let's talk about Canada and, and where we rank and rate in this polling. How strong are our concerns in Canada about reopening the economy? Uh, they're very strong, uh, and in fact, among the strongest of those 14 countries uh, in which we polled, uh, uh, only 25% of Canadians uh, believe that we should restart the economy and allow businesses to open, even if the virus is not uh, fully contained. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll call that the Trump approach, um, 25% of Canadians. Now, uh, if we look at how that compares to other major markets, it's very similar to those in the United, K, uh, United Kingdom, rather, 23%. But if we look at some other countries, in the U.S., 35% think that the economy should be reopened without um, fully containing the virus. And it, it goes up to 50% in Germany, 53% in Italy, and 60% in, in Russia. So uh, a majority in some of those uh, very populous countries uh, believe that uh, things should get uh, kick-started even if the virus isn't fully contained. What sort of behavior changes are people expecting once their economy reopens? Like, will there be nervousness to leave our homes or go to shops or gyms and the like? Yeah, and, and uh, in fact, a majority in almost every uh, country say that they're going to be nervous uh, about uh, about leaving their home um, where they're actually the most confident is in is in Germany um, only 44 percent of Germans uh, say that they're going to be nervous about leaving their home and and I think that's interesting because if we look at the German experience you know they, they've had a lot of um, a significant outbreak of, of, of covid 19 in in the country um, but their healthcare system has done a very good job they've had a relatively low proportion of deaths and and uh, one of the key things that they did differently from a lot of other markets was mandate uh, the wearing of face masks early. And, and I think what that's done is it's made people used to, to wearing face masks in, in, in public. 
uh, and, uh, and as a result, instilled some uh, level of confidence in the German people that it's okay to go outside if you're taking certain precautions. So they're looking fairly confident. Here in Canada, though, only um, uh, 68% of Canadians say that they'll be nervous about going outside and leaving their home to do some of these things. Only 29% say, no, it's, it's not a worry for me. We often focus, Sean, on what the majority is saying, but sometimes it's what it's what the minority is saying that we need to pay attention to. And 30% of people saying they're nervous. Uh, I'm curious where that will shift in the weeks ahead, because we know even when you did polling a few months ago, uh, the concern wasn't as high, obviously, as it is now. And so there's a lot of trepidation over the idea that as we move closer to these plans, how we feel about them might change yep. based on what we're seeing outside and all the rest. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, you know, two two thirds or seven in ten of uh, Canadians are, are are nervous, and and I think we can understand why. You know, every province has had a, a different experience with 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 COVID nineteen. The the curve has looked differently. Uh, the number of cases, how they're who they're testing, how they're testing, what's qualifying as as a, as a COVID nineteen related death is all very different. And now we're seeing diverging plans for. Uh, reopening the the economy, particularly with Ontario and Quebec, the two most populous provinces, two of the provinces that have been hit the hardest, taking diverging approaches. And I think what that causes is some confusion among people saying, well, if if Quebec can open the elementary schools in the middle of May, why can Ontario? Is it safe to do that? Are are they going to be taking a step backwards? Uh, And and it causes confusion. And I think that that confusion, that lack of a uniform response, that makes people nervous about what is necessary and what is effective. And Sean, I don't know if it's exclusively uh, what we're hearing and our different experiences, whether it be in a province in Canada or different countries around the world, that will have a shifting uh, the way we view this thing. But spring has finally sprung here in Manitoba. Uh, we have six deaths from COVID-19 in this province. Uh, but we're sensing here, and we did a very informal poll yesterday, over 850 people responding just on Twitter, suggesting 9% we're admitting that they're pushing the boundaries of what's being suggested by health officials here and Mm -hmm. over 65% saying that they're seeing other people doing the same thing. So uh, even though there are people who believe in what's happening, uh, there are those that are saying, yeah, uh, but I'm still pushing the boundaries here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our polling of a couple of weeks ago showed that about one in five aren't uh, you know, follow, sorry, one in four aren't following the rules of, of uh, public health officials to the extent that they want them followed. And I suspect that as the weather gets nicer, uh, people will start to, to, to relax a little bit. As, as, as uh, well, Premier Doug Ford here in Ontario said, people are getting squirrely. And that, that, that seems to be an accurate way of, of describing it. Um, you know, if, if I look at the data, you know, two countries that had very, very similar uh, um, uh, levels of outbreak and, and responses are Spain and Italy. And yet in, in Italy, 53% say, let's get out, let's get out, let's restart the economy and do this. And uh, if it's 53 in Italy, it's only 31% in Spain. Um, so the attitudes are very, very different, even though the experience had, had been the same. And I think there's some worry that if we let off the pedal a little bit, 
that uh, we are going to um, have, a, have, a, have a second wave. You know, it happened with the Spanish flu. It, ha- it happens with a lot of pandemics. And that it could be worse than the first and, and will have undone all of the work that, that, that we've strived to achieve over the last uh, two months or so. Sean Simpson is the vice president of Ipsos, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sean, thank you very much for this. Much appreciated. Thank you. It is Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Success on the field of play, I think we can say, often means a massive upheaval of personnel, maybe even on the field or in the coaching ranks, guys. But the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have been mostly successful at holding on to the players who were instrumental in the teaming, team winning its first Grey Cup in 29 years, and of course that came last November. The front office is intact, as Wade Miller has signed general manager Kyle Walters and head coach Michael Shea to long-term contracts, Greg. Yeah, one linchpin in the Blue Bombers' growth over the past three or four seasons. Paul Lapolice has moved on to become the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks, which opened the door for our next guest to ascend the coaching ladder in his adopted hometown. Winnipeg Blue Bombers offensive coordinator Buck Pierce joins us now. Buck, we finally have you on the start. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, everybody. Uh, you know, happy to be on. You guys do a great job. Listen to you guys all the time. So thanks for having me. Uh, our pleasure. So congratulations on the new position. If we put aside, if we can, the COVID-19 situation for just a moment, you've got to be excited for this next challenge and, and what's ahead for you and your football club. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're, we're all extremely, extremely excited, you know, um, I, you know, for me, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, get the opportunity to now step into this role after, you know, over over a decade with the club um, is is very exciting for me. And then, you know, to have the ability to keep a lot of our, our offensive staff intact as well, you know, and, and we brought over uh, Pete Costanza from from the Calgary Stampeders. So, you know, having having a new, uh, you know, a little bit of new blood in, in the building as well, and also, you know, keeping keeping some of our our uh, our coaches, you know, in, in the same rooms as well. So it's 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 been good, and and you know, I'm I'm extremely excited. I know the players are are excited, and, and uh, you know, we just can't wait to get this thing going. Now, as quarterbacks coach, you obviously had a close relationship with two players who have moved on. Matt Nichols was such a big part of reestablishing the Blue Bombers as a team to be respected, and Chris Strebler was such a unique weapon. But tell us about what Zach Caleros brought to the team, which took it over the top. Well, you know, I think, you know, when, when, you know, Zach came in, uh, you know, we, we were, we were, we were at a point to where, you know, we needed to win, <clears throat> you know, we needed to win. And I think, you know, Zach kind of, you know, he came into the room and, and, you know, quietly just kind of started to earn the respect of the guys around him. Um, you know, he, he, he started taking reps. He started, you know, working, um, extremely hard. Um, he's, he's a very vocal guy. So, you know, he, you know, people listen to to him when he speaks, um, you know he's got he's got a wealth of, uh, of of knowledge of the game and you know playing experience. And you look back to you know 2014 and those years where 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 he was you know playing at a, at an extremely high level and and obviously you know we saw we saw that again you know when, when he stepped on the field for us you know and, the, and then you look at you know our our entire quarterback room over the over the previous years you know you got to give credit to 
to Matt, you know, Matt Nichols, who, who came in there and led that room and, you know, brought, you know, young guys along with them. And, you know, we, we were consistent. And, and I think that's something too, is, you know, myself and, you know, Paul LaPolice, you know, we, we worked together in, in that system for four years. So there was a, a consistency and really allowed us to build something as well. And I think when Zach came in and saw, you know, what was built and how we were doing things. You know, I think he saw that, you know, what I think they're onto something here and they're doing it the right way. Well, there was a foundation there for sure. And I think, Buck, one of the things you have in common with your predecessor is not just kind of laying that bedrock, but the love of you have for Winnipeg and you've really adopted this town as your own. Can you tell us a bit about your re- relationship with Paul La Police? It has to be uh, sad, bittersweet maybe is the better word to see him uh, moving on as well. Well, I know that's you know that was that was one of his aspirations was 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 to have the ability to, you know, go go and lead another football team in the CFL and, and you know, very de- deserving of that, you know. So we're all you know we're all happy for him and 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 uh, you know excited to you know see what he'll do and 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 he'll do a good job with that. Uh, you know, my relationship with Paul goes back to my playing days when he brought me to Winnipeg in 2010 and you know worked with him then um, <clears throat> then. Uh, when he went to TSN, we still kept a good relationship there. And then, you know, when the opportunity arose for us to work, you know, work together, um, you know, it, it worked out and, you know, we've, we've, I think we, we, um, you know, really, you know, kind of, you know, bonded and, and learned a lot, you know, from each other in those, in those years and, you know, building what we built, uh, you know, up to, up to, you know, the great cup this, this last year. And, um, you know, so, I think we learned a lot from each other. I think, you know, we, we, uh, our relationship is still good like that. And, and I'm excited for him. And, and I know he's excited for me as well. Buck uh, Pierce is our guest and Buck in a couple hours from now, basically uh, two hours from now, Riley Mara, he and his outstanding digital team are responsible for the road to the Grey Cup video production. It debuted last night based on your Twitter feed. I, I think you watched it. What did you think? unbelievable uh well about as uh you know i think i think you know with a lot of things you know not on tv right now there's not a lot of sports on there's not a lot of other things that kind of take your mind off of what's going on outside outside your home um to have the opportunity to you know put that video on and relive those emotions um and and those feelings from those games and those playoff runs and uh you know you watch the sideline shots and the locker room things and Man, it was just done so so well, and and uh, you know they do a great job there at BlueBombers.com, and and uh, you know I'll probably watch it a couple more times this morning. Buck, before we let you go, I just want to take you back to Friday, September twenty seventh, twenty thirteen. Winnipeg Blue Bombers were hosting the BC Lions, and the BC Lions routed the Blue Bombers. I think they scored on the first play from scrimmage. The final score is fifty three to seventeen, and the only highlight, and I bring this up because. Uh, people started getting excited when they saw you on the sidelines warming up for BC to come into the game. And unfortunately for me, I had to go to the washroom, and that's when you came out, and I could hear everybody cheering. It was the only time people cheered, and I still kick myself to this day that I missed the moment that you took to the field on that day. You know, very, very uh, emotional moment for me, um, you know, from – you know, the struggles and, and, you know, going through some of the injury things that I went through in Winnipeg and not being able to, you know, be on the field as much as, as much as I needed to be and as much as I wanted with, with the guys and then getting traded back to BC and, and, you know, we come into Winnipeg, uh, 
uh, you know, late in the season and, you know, you know opportunity to step on the field and, uh, you know, the fans, everybody in Winnipeg just, uh, you know, gave me, you know, a nice cheer and honor. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that I'll, I'll never forget. And, and that's, you know, who Winnipeg is, you know, they're, they're, you know, passionate people, but they also care about their own as well. And people that, that, uh, you know, give to the community and people that, you know, give to the organization, you know, they give that back. And, and I think, you know, that that was, that was a very, very you know special moment in my playing career and you know something that i'll never forget winnipeg blue bombers offensive coordinator buck pierce joining us live for breakfast with the bombers buck it's been a pleasure thank you for taking the time to talk to us hey it's always it's always good you guys you guys stay safe and uh you know keep 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 doing well oh and we're also apparently supposed to say hello well greg why don't you do it Kathy Kennedy wanted us to give you a a big hello this morning, Buck, as she heard you were coming on the show with us. So I would be remiss if I did not complete that task for our friend Kathy. So uh, uh, lots of people excited to know you're on with us today, Buck. Have a great one. Hey, thank you so much. Hello, Kathy. There it is. Have Have a good one, guys. You know, for the most part, each jurisdiction is going to do so what what works best in their jurisdiction, what's best to their numbers. Uh, And so we're going to do ours uh, very cautiously here. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, that was Dr. Brent Rusin talking about the slow and steady approach Manitoba will take as it looks towards easing some of the restrictions that have been in place for weeks now as a result of COVID-19. Manitoba said its plan will likely be released this week and that it will follow some of the guidelines set in other provinces, but not all. We were telling you just after 7 o'clock how Quebec and Saskatchewan have given specific dates for their rollout and reopening, while Ontario called its plan a roadmap as opposed to a calendar. Either way, it's fair that there are many Manitobans and many businesses waiting to hear What's coming next? Understanding that we need to take this slow and steady approach, a cautious approach. John Graham is the Director of Government Relations for the Prairie Office of the Retail Council of Canada and joins us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lauren. As we look ahead to what might come, what might be rolled out of Manitoba in the coming days, what are some of the lingering questions you have and and retailers have about what you'd like to see or hope to see? Yeah, I think that... uh, uh Certainly lots of, uh, you know, it's uh, in a weird way an exciting time to know that stores that have been closed for an extended period of time may have the opportunity to open again. So timing is really important. We can't wait for the announcement. Uh, we like Saskatchewan providing many weeks notice, uh, uh, but uh, uh, certainly it, it's going to be helpful to have a date so that we can start staffing up again, get inventories in place. Uh, we may have, you know, fashion, for example, left winter inventory in the store and have to have spring on racks when the doors open. We know some big box stores have been allowed to sell everything from clothing to toys because they also sell groceries at their stores, but that's left smaller retail shops out. So what have some of their concerns been? Yeah, and that's sort of the unfairness of this all. Uh, you know, um, there's there's lots of uh, reasons why the, the uh, logic around the definition of essential food and household essentials and uh, but you're right, a lot of small businesses that don't sell those categories have been closed. And for them, uh, this is a whole new world of, for their employees, for uh, customers that grocery stores have experienced for a while now. And so gearing up, uh, making sure that they have good um, physical spacing and cleaning uh, protocols in place and, uh, uh, and that their customers feel confident going into those stores. 
John, do you sense there's a shift here from uh, the concern over the economic viability of businesses has surpassed uh, the concern overall with regard to, to health here in Manitoba? I think it's a good shift in that, uh, you know, health first, of course. And uh, I, I'm proud of uh, Manitoba retailers focus on health first for their employees and their customers. Uh, economics is the harsh reality of uh, of COVID-19. It's done tremendous damage to a lot of businesses, but there are some programs in place, gaps to be filled, but there are some programs. And you're right. It's uh, For us right now, a lot of the conversations we're having with the provincial government is to make sure that there's uh, consistent physical spacing, disinfecting protocols in place that retailers, restaurants, others know to, that they need to implement and that message of confidence that it's safe to go into a store when you need to buy a product. Rent is due May 1st. Another round of rent checks will need to be paid. I want to ask you a question about the finances of some of the businesses you talked to in a moment, John. But first, before we even have the conversation about some businesses reopening or reopening to that new normal, whether it be with physical distancing or not, there's also a conversation about employees and employees that want to come back to work are going to need to have childcare or school or, or maybe other things in place. And so there's lots of unknowns for the staff as well. Yeah, I think that that's... Uh... Uh, that's one of the, the complicating factors is that we know that most retail stores are not going to go back to new nor- to uh, normal levels of sales. The, the sales are going to be much softer in some stores that are going to be flat, frankly, from where they are right now. You know, you have luggage. You know, not a lot of people are traveling right now. And so uh, probably going to require fewer employees. But those employees have issues that they have to deal with. Kids out of school, as you say, and daycare, if that doesn't resume. Uh, but um, but also ensuring that those employees feel confident that uh, they're protected um, in those stores, that the physical distancing, the cleaning protocols, the access to PPP, uh, PPE, I should say, if, uh, uh, if they so need it. we got about 30 seconds, John. So with another round of rent checks due, what are you hearing from businesses in terms of those who might uh, be closed for good? Where are you, where are they with that? Oh, it, it's, uh, it's painful. It's, uh, uh, and the federal program provides some hope, but it re- relies on landlords to, to jump in. Not all of them have uh, jumped in on the federal program. There's still large gaps uh, for larger businesses, for those that don't fit into the tight box that the federal program's put in place. We still need lots of help to try to keep as many businesses going after we get to the end of COVID-19. John Graham is the Director of Government Relations for the Prairie Office of the Retail Council of Canada, joining us live on CJOB. John, thank you for this. Thanks so much. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, yesterday we visited with our friend Barrett Miller of Fort White Alive about what is being perceived as an unusual number of birds in the city of Winnipeg. Barrett suggests that a combination of bird migration and the fact that we are home more is the likely explanation for the perceived spike in that bird population. Sherry Versluce is the proprietor of the Preferred Perch. Sherry joins us now on the start. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. Now, not that we're fact-checking or anything, what Barrett had to say, but does does that match up with your view of why people are suggesting they're seeing, quote-unquote, more birds in Winnipeg right now? Yes, I think it's just people are home more because I have to admit, even some of my regular customers um, and even my own mother (laughs) are saying they're seeing birds that they've never had in their yards before. Yet I know they've seen them every migration, but 
I think uh, being at home more is just making people a little more hypersensitive to what is going on around them and noticing more. Some of us just might have time to stop and smell the roses, so to speak, Sherry. You're just seeing them because things have slowed down a little bit. You're sitting on your porch more or maybe just in your yard and you can see what's going on around you. And and we didn't want to just talk to you about what feels like seeing more birds, but a couple different things. We've got lots of texts from our listeners with questions for you. But one of the first things we want to get to is bird feeders and bird seeds. Not all feeders and seeds are ideal for our feathered friends. What makes a good quality feeder? Well, the important things to look for are feeders that are easy to clean because feeders do need to be cleaned at least a couple times a year. So they want you want to make sure they're able to come apart. You want to make sure that they have drainage because that's another important feature. You know, when we get a lot of rain, you want to make sure that water can drain out and that it's very accommodating because we get so many different sizes of birds. We get everything from little finches right up to big blue jays and morning doves. So you want to make sure that the feeder would accommodate any size of bird. When it comes to the seed, uh, just we, we got a text message from a listener. Uh, we wanted to bounce this off of you. Uh, we went there and salesperson claimed we shouldn't be feeding birds with foods that are rescued from factory floors. Hello, birds outside don't really care if their food has been on the ground. Rarely see them washing it before they eat. Just a sales pitch for a high-end product. Harumph. So uh, we wanted to, to get your opinion on that because I think they, sure. they raise a, an interesting point. Well, what it is, is there is no government regulations on wildlife food. So there's no no health officials or government officials that will oversee to make sure what's being bagged is safe, not only for the birds, but for you. And the what I'm getting at is a lot of the food that is used for wildlife is food that has been rejected for all other consumption by any other living thing. So once that is rejected for all other uses, it is sold as wild bird food. And some of the reasons these foods are rejected is because they have mold in them. So the mold is not healthy for anybody. So even for people, when they open up that bag, there's that gust of of moldy spores you could be breathing in. So it's not necessarily that it's swept off the floor. Yes, birds obviously eat off the ground all the time, but it's the fact that these foods often contain very high levels of mold in them. So uh, cats, we have lots of cat lovers out there. Uh, Cats are our friends or or can be, but they're not the friends of birds. Sherry, just how unfriendly are domesticated cats to the wild bird population? Unfortunately, they are one of the top three leading causes of decline of songbirds. Um, It is such a correctable thing because cats don't need to be roaming. I love cats. Many people do, and a lot of cat owners keep their cats in their own yards and make runs for them or things where they're not roaming free so that they are safe. But it is estimated that it's about 3 million birds a day are killed by free-roaming cats. Wow, 3 so million birds. significant. Yeah, that's yes. a huge number from cats. I, I also remember doing stories years ago in Toronto with high-rise buildings and, and the glass. Where, does, where do windows rank as an enemy to the birds, and what can we do about it? Yep, that's one of the top three as well. The other one is is actually um, pesticides and chemicals. But yeah, window collisions are incredible. And right now it is a peak time. Our phone has been ringing off the hook at the store with people experiencing that right now. And it's migratory birds are not familiar with our structures here. It's very rare that a native year-round bird hit, hits windows. It's these new birds that are arriving and they've got territory on their mind, reproduction, and they're just not familiar with these structures. And they see the reflections in the windows and they end up 
hitting them thinking that they're flying into the trees or the sky. So to correct that, you just need to have something on the exterior of your glass. There's different kinds of products that are sold, or you can certainly make your own, but it does need to be on the outside of the glass to help. And uh, you probably get annoyed with uh, fielding this kind of a question, but I think it, it's important an important reminder. Bread is bad, right? Absolutely. There is no bread growing in trees anywhere, so it is not a natural food source for birds at all very hard for them to digest and the biggest thing with uh, ducks and geese where a lot of people go to the parks to feed them that they can develop a syndrome called angel wing syndrome and it's because they are so nutritionally deficient by the end of the season from eating so much bread that their feathers grow in incorrectly and it's very painful and they end up holding their wings in a, in a manner where it looks like angel wings but you know these birds are not able to fly when this happens and it, it is uh, pretty much a death sentence for them if, if they're left behind usually caught by predators is what happens. Well, I remember this from the talk to the expert days, the preferred perch, yeah. 257-3724, 25-PERCH, 1604, St. Mary's Road. Sherry, always great to talk to you. Thank you, guys. Take care. The Pentagon has confirmed what many have long insisted, that images of three previously leaked videos of supposed UFOs are real and they're still a total mystery. That was the sound of two pilots as they captured the video of what appeared to be those UFOs that have now been confirmed to be real in 2015. And you could hear their glee and excitement as they watched those different unidentified objects moving through the air. The confirmation yesterday that what they filmed way back then, four years ago, was a legitimate caused all sorts of reaction, Greg. Yeah, so we uh, go to the number one person on this, Chris Rutkowski. He's a science writer, ufologist, and is affectionately known around here as Hal's weirdologist. I won't call you that, Chris, but I will oh, welcome you funny. to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So a lot of these videos were leaked, uh, one in 2005, a couple more in 2017. But now to have the Pentagon officially release these and, and deem them, quote unquote, legitimate, what's your reaction to that? Well, in some ways, it's it's not surprising in that uh, the Navy released them uh, back a number of years ago already, and uh, they've been circulating for some time. In fact, uh, uh, people in the UFO circles have seen them since uh, about 2007 or so because uh, they were leaked onto the Internet way back then. So in some ways, it's not surprising. The other sense is that uh, the Navy uh, said that, uh, you know, they, they thought they were legit, and I guess... This is just going one notch higher in that the Department of Defense itself uh, was waffling on it. They had been deluged with Freedom of Information Act requests by many, many people, uh, you know, wanting to know their take on it. So after review, they said, yeah, you know what, uh, you know, they were released without our authorization, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let it pass. <laughs> so it's in some sense, it's a non-story. In the other sense, it's a story saying, well, it's the Department of Defense saying, yeah, these things are unidentified, and, and we're not sure exactly what they were. Well, you used the key word there, Chris, unidentified. And so 
you know, we always want to go down the road of, okay, maybe that's a sign of alien life or alien aircraft. That's not necessarily what this means when we use that phrase UFO. What else could those pilots have been chasing and filming? Well, there's some discussion about uh, whether the, they were actually on a training mission. In fact, uh, the Nimitz, which was the aircraft carrier the planes were flying from, was on a training mission off the coast of California uh, near Catalina uh, for some time. In fact, the, the story is that these pilots had been chasing uh, these unidentified radar blips for weeks uh, before these videos were, were taken, which suggests that something you know, a little more mundane was involved, and, and since they were on exercises, that kind of makes sense. At the same time, um, you know, the videos seem to show things that are moving around in ways that uh, don't seem to have explanations. But then, you know, we don't have all the information. In fact, uh, these videos uh, were presented without any accompanying uh, documentation. Here's the videos. You look at them. And so people have been trying to decipher them. Some have said this obviously shows some sort of anti-gravity device and, and things warping in and out of dimensions and so forth. But you can't really say that from simple videos so we're not sure what this was maybe there were some sort of special drones in fact the the department of defense in this release yesterday says that uh, uh, the, these videos don't show any sensitive capabilities or systems so um, you know if if they're saying it's, it's not anything that uh, should be concerned about then what what are they in fact when they say in the, the statement that was released yesterday that this should clear up some misconceptions well, it doesn't. In fact, it asks a few more questions. We still don't know exactly what was seen and what the pilots were chasing. Like what what purpose or what, what is, are they accomplishing by just randomly putting out or releasing these videos now, a couple of years after uh, you've already seen the video when they were leaked, what would you say, 2017? Well, they actually were leaked to the Internet in 20, 2007, um, and and they were ta- and one of them was taken in 2005. So they, it's nothing super new. In fact, uh, it's it's curious that they would be making this statement now. In fact, some analysts are saying this is a very very strange thing for the Department of Defense to be doing at this time, especially in the middle of a of a pandemic, to release this kind of information, hoping that perhaps some people wouldn't notice it. But of course, at the same time, maybe we're going to be noticing it a little bit more because we're looking for things that are not COVID related. That's a really good point. So over the years, what have these uh, objects proven out to be, Chris? Uh, I I can only imagine the stealth uh, bomber, the stealth fighter, when it was spotted over California or Nevada or these different training areas, when when they were under development, they would look like a spaceship. How often does it end up being uh, defense contractors testing out the latest, greatest gadget? Well, that's a, an excellent uh, point. In fact, we do know that um, in, in some cases, uh, American uh, craft have been tested over Canada. In fact, in fact, the cruise missile was tested uh, in Alberta over Cold Lake and in the far north a few times. Uh, there's objects that were called by tech analysts uh, pumpkin seeds, which were very fast-moving stealth craft, which are flown all around the globe uh, to see. Uh, what was going to you know, be the capabilities. And, of course, people were reporting them, but since uh, they were moving so strangely, they were reported as UFOs. And there's even some stories that back in the 1960s, the U-2 uh, bomber was uh, flown you know, all over the place, and people reported them, but you know, they, they didn't know that it was a U-2 bomber. So it's certainly possible that some of these might be advanced technology, but the Department of Defense statements suggest that it not advanced technology or nothing that they're not really too aware of. So 
uh, it's difficult to say. At the same time, we do have UFO reports coming in all the time. In fact, you know, even in the midst of a pandemic, uh, UFO reports in Canada continue to be filed, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's an ongoing phenomenon. And people are, you know, perhaps spending a, a little more time looking up since they have some free time and the evenings are nice now. So why not spend some time looking up and seeing what is special in the sky? You never know what you might see. Or maybe even, Chris, just imagining what could be out there. We had the conversation earlier this morning in our Having Coffee Talking segment at 645 just about what we all believe in, whether we believe in the possibility of alien life or other, and that led to conversations about, of course, the uh, uh, Bigfoot or a Yeti or the Ogopogo in the Okanagan. But you texted us back to remind us, don't forget about the man in Pogo. Remind us. <laughs> well, yeah, in fact, uh, Manitoba has its own set of unusual phenomena. I've been documenting everything from Manitoba's uh, Sasquatch reports to uh, Lake Monster reports uh, in Lake Manitoba and Lake Winnipeg. Uh, and of course, being in Manitoba, it's uh, Manipogo, not Ogopogo, long-necked creatures moving in the lake. I've spoken actually to a master angler who said, you know, I know everything that's in this lake. It was not a, a sturgeon. It was not a, a moose. It was not this. It was definitely something uh, out of the ordinary. So when you talk to people who know the lakes, and they say, you know, I saw something that I can't explain. What do you do with those cases? And in fact, the parallels between these types of phenomena and UFOs are, are quite remarkable, where you have experts in the field who say this is something strange, you know, whether it's a pilot or a master angler or somebody who's spent all their time in the bush, and they say, you know, I saw a Sasquatch. What do you do with those types of phenomena? So you sort of wrap your head around all these strange things called Fortean phenomena, which simply means some things that you can't explain, and, you know, Manitoba has a lot of the richness of, uh, of things that are seen elsewhere around the world. Chris, where can we read your stuff? Uh, you can look at my blog, which is euforum.blogspot.com, uh, or you can uh, read survey.canadianuforeport.com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all those fancy things, so <laughs> you'll find me. Chris Rutkowski, science writer and ufologist, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Chris, thank you for the time, as always, my friend. Thank you. Cody Fajardo left side, and he won't get there. The Bombers have stopped him at the one-yard line. Big goal line stand. It's been a long time since I've been able to say this, but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to the Great Cup. I should think about making that my ringtone or something, because that, of course, is the soothing but excited voice of Bob Irving, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, taking us back to November 17th, 2019, and the CFL West final, which really set the stage for the magic that was the November for the Blue Bombers and all of their fans. That clip, along with hundreds of other moments, are meticulously woven together to help take fans of the blue and gold back in time, Greg. A well-told story has the power to transport us, Loren, and take us to an exact moment in time or re-experience the raw emotion of a meaningful moment in time based on what we've been seeing on social media and what's being said. It's mission accomplished for this next gentleman. Rave reviews for this Winnipeg Blue Bombers production. Looking back at the road to the Grey Cup, so many Blue Bomber fans expressing their emotions as the video premiered at 7 o'clock last night. Riley Mara is the digital media manager for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and he joins us now. Good morning, Riley. 
Good morning. That was a beautiful intro. Thank you very much. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of work. Congratulations on it. It's receiving uh, just an incredible amount of endorsement and uh, people uh, reliving what is obviously one of the highlights of uh, sports history in our community. How many of our, how many hours, pardon me, of video did you pour over to create this one-hour retrospective? Yeah, it's a, it was a bit of a project. Uh, I'd say probably about 14 or 15 hours worth of footage throughout the whole playoffs between myself and a couple of other camera operators we had working. So it was definitely a lot to sift through, but uh, to find the right shots it made it all worth it. You know, the emotion while watching, even just the trailer that you posted uh, to tee it up, uh, just undeniable. So how about while you were making it? Sorry? Oh, just what was the the emotion that you felt while you were making it? Oh, yeah, it was, um, I'm just happy to tell the story for Manitoba. Um, the emotion, like, I normally I have a feeling of how a video is going to turn out, if I like it or not. And by the time I got to the the Grey Cup hosting, being ho- hoisted, I was, I knew this might be something that people are going to really cherish and want to hold on to. Well, I think it landed at the right time to rally. You know, we're all looking for something to give us something else to talk about or put a smile on our face or or tear up for the right reason, you know, as opposed to the, the reasons that have many people struggling right now. And I saw so many people on social media commenting last night that they're going to watch it again. Buck Pierce was on with us this morning in our breakfast with the Blue Bomber segment. He's going to watch it again this morning, two or three times, I think is what he said. And it's not just the emotion that I think it captured. There's all these really great angles and shots and different use of technology. And so you talked about the hours that went in. There was obviously several shooters, uh, photographers, video journalists who took all the video. Yeah, we had um, we have our team uh, with the Bombers. There's three of us, uh, myself, Jeremy DeRoche and Sam Calvert. And then uh, I also took some footage from TSN. And then uh, actually, funny enough, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, digital media manager, he was at the Grey Cup he had no use for the footage so he sent it to me and he's like well i have this footage and as a saskatchewan rough rider employee i'm never going to show bombers when hoisting the uh, trophy so he gave me that footage <laughs> so that was pretty helpful <laughs> wow that surprises me i thought you were going to tell an exact opposite story there so uh i will uh put that uh, in the memory bank the next time i want to yeah. slander or slam the saskatchewan rough riders which i do on a regular basis i can only imagine like with for all the incredible footage that that you harvested i can only imagine there were some incredible scenes that that didn't quite make it into your, the time allotted how do you mercilessly edit video because it, it, it's all powerful uh, at the time i suspect yeah, it's, it's tough. Like, I've never made a project this long before. So I kind of just, most of the shots I kind of see or like I wanted to put in. So there was no really time limit on it. Um, definitely the parade. We have a lot of footage that didn't make it just because by the end of it, I didn't know how long I wanted to make it. So I, by the ending, I was like, I kind of want to wrap it up in, an, in a nice pace. I didn't want to go too long on it. So there's definitely a lot of uh, parade footage. I had a mic on Andrew Harris for the whole parade. So there's a lot of him yelling and being excited. Uh, one of our camera operators was following the truck with all the quarterbacks. So there's a lot of that stuff too. So it, it was definitely tough to exclude a lot of shots, but um, I'm happy with the the length it was. Were there any other productions that inspired you uh, to put this together or to, while you were putting this together? Yeah, Um I, I'm a big NBA and Raptors fan, so they they have um, 
uh, 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 company that they work with called Open Gym, and there's a lot of stuff on YouTube with that. They did a similar um, uh, playoff recap video that they posted last summer. And then um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the TV show and movie Friday Night Lights. So I kind of I like the way that they tell the story of the community. So it's kind of going with uh, a feeling near the beginning and end of this uh, feature where you kind of have the same tone that Friday Night Lights does with uh, music. I'm glad you mentioned that. I just started rewatching Friday Night Lights. I don't know why, but uh, it might just because of the football. Or the need for some, <laughs> yeah, need for some sports. I got some time on my hands. Uh, you mentioned just being a fan of the NBA. Uh, we've been talking a little bit in the last week about the release of the whole uh, documentary highlighting the highlights and lowlights and all the rest of Jordan's career. Are you watching The Last Dance? I am. I haven't been able to watch episodes three and four yet. I uh, had a busy last couple of days, but uh, that's probably the next thing I'm going to watch this evening. Um, yeah, I love all, all ESPN 30 for 30 type documentaries. So when I saw the trailer come out for that in uh, December, I was counting down the days and was pretty happy that they bumped up the release of that. Uh, Riley, what is it about sport? I, I think we can quantify for a lot of us what it is that we love about it. But uh, to relive these moments over and over again, I, you know, the, the TSN's rebroadcast the the Grey Cup several times since November 24th. I've only seen it once in its entirety. And last night watching your production, I got emotional over and over again. What is it about sport that that drags that out of uh, out of us? My buddy Jared and I have this thing, sports cry, having a good sports cry right now. What's the difference between a sports cry and a regular cry? I think it's just it's a happy cry. I mean, there's uh, it's it's you become overcome with joy, and I think that um, especially with the, our story with the Bombers, it's 29 years in the making, so all of the highs and lows that they've, the team has felt and the fans have felt for 29 years, it all kind of came out one moment. And then rewatching it, it just takes you back to that one certain place. And you see the images of fans being emotional, and it makes you emotional just seeing how someone else is reacting the same way you are. And I think that's the beauty of sports. Well, Riley, on that note, I think we'll leave it there. You can see the video, Road to the Grey Cup, at bluebombers.com. We've linked it to our 680CJOB Instagram story as well if you are there. Riley, thank you so much for doing this great work. Thanks a lot. Riley Mara is the digital media manager for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And just a quick sidebar on the last dance. Last night's episode focused, uh, episode three focused heavily on Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. And there was a, he, he needed a vacation. So he took a couple of days off <laughs> to go to Las Vegas. In the middle of the season. Yeah. And Michael Jordan personally had to go down there oh. into his hotel room and drag him out of bed while oh. Carmen Electra was in bed with him. So. Oh, I forgot that that was even a thing. Yeah, Carmen. Forty-eight Lord. hours. I just oh, need forty-eight Lord. hours. Jordan hey. says. Jordan says uh, this is a, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but Jordan says forty-eight hours. If you let him leave, he's not coming back in forty-eight <laughs> hours, Phil. Yeah, it was a tremendous, tremendous episode. But again, to go back to the Blue Bombers, we ju- why don't we just take a second here? I harvested some audio from that trailer. If you just need any more incentive to watch Road to the Grey Cup. Here it is. Coming home to my home, hometown and, you know, playing in front of so many people that I know and, and love and care about. I really want to represent this city well and do something for this city as far as being a, a Winnipegger. 
Stamps taking on Winnipeg, right where the 2019 Grey Cup will be hosted in a couple of weeks. I love this, the Bombers going into Saskatchewan for the Western Final. Both these teams don't like each other. We're going to whoop those Bombers, we're going to whoop them good! Everything we've done up to this point has made us smarter. You're ready for anything! As awesome as that whole thing is, I think my favorite part is the Ryder fan who sounds like the dude from Groundhog Day who pulls the groundhog out of the box who says, we're going to whip them bombers and whip them good. You see? (laughs) Great prediction. That aged well. Uh, You know, my favorite part about that whole interview with Rally just now in this trailer is the concept of the happy cry. And I'm forever telling my kids, Mom's not sad. I'm just doing my happy cry. And so I look forward to watching this and just crying the whole way through it. Now, it's th- a good kind of cry. All three of us are criers, aren't we? I cry when I'm sad. <laughs> I cry when I'm mad. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I just get straight overwhelmed by, you know, uh, by joy. Uh, like, when we, Greg, when we went to see that come from away, there were sad oh, things. Yes. That was at uh, M- MTC, right? Uh, Correct. And uh, then I was just overwhelmed by the talent, the sheer ingenuity on display. I just thought people are actually capable of of mm-hmm. doing this. So, yeah, I uh, I cry a lot, too. And you, Mackling, I know you're emotional. So we're, we're all three of us just a bunch of babies. Yeah, I cry when I'm hungry, cry. too. Does that count? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, it, it counts. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.